Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the day, and the Eagles were back on the field today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 396. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Ben Fennell and Chris McPherson about our takeaways from Saturday's practice as the Eagles took the field. It was a bit of a cooler, overcast day in South Philadelphia. Who stood out this morning? We're going to get into some of that right at the top of the show. But before we get there, some housekeeping. Number one. If you live in the Philadelphia area, make sure you head on over to open practice. The Eagles having practice 7 o'clock, 7 p.m. Sunday night. So uh, depending on when you're listening to this, 7 7 o'clock Sunday night, uh, Eagles taking the field. It's the only open practice for all fans in attendance. Uh, All uh, proceeds go towards the Eagles Autism Foundation. So if you're in the area, you want to watch this team play, you want to watch this team practice, you're listening to the podcast uh, every day. This is your chance. Go out and see them before the preseason starts later this week. Make sure you go do that 7 o'clock on Sunday. Also, make sure you go check out uh, the Journey to the Draft podcast. We're continuing our previews for the college football season. You can get that wherever podcasts can be found. And as always, for this show, leave your rating, leave a review. Appreciate all the feedback, all the support we've gotten since this podcast has returned earlier this summer. Enough of this, though. Excited to talk through today's practice with Ben and Chris. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, Ben, C-Mac, let's, uh, let's get things started here. It was a, a, about a 90-minute practice today for the Eagles here. Like I said, a little bit cooler, but C-Mac, before we get into the action on the field, uh, interested to kind of get some thoughts here because we had some, some lineup shuffles. We had some guys uh, returning from injury, some guys that exited. Uh, give us uh, your notes here on the roster. All right, so first roster move here, the tight end depth being tested here in training camp. Jaden Graham was signed just before the first practice. He was placed on injured reserve. His season is over, so the Eagles do have some roster roster flexibility if they want to bring someone into the 90-man squad. Now, added to the injury report, and we talked about him on the podcast the other day, running back Boston Scott suffered a concussion. Don't know if it was from that collision with Marcus Epps during practice at the goal line the other day, but nonetheless, Boston Scott, along with now Andre Dillard and Jordan Mailata, coming back from concussions. Talked about the tight end death. Grant Calcaterra still sidelined with a hamstring injury from a receiver standpoint. The Eagles get back Quez Watkins. Yep. However, Devontae Smith with the groin, Greg Ward with the toe, they're still sidelined. Coming back, though, at corner, Mac McCain. He is a, was limited today with the knee injury. So got that's it. what we've got from the roster move and the injury standpoint for Saturday's practice. And I didn't see uh, in terms of like uh, anything official. I'm not even sure if he re-entered, but I know LaRaven Clark uh, was helped off the field at one point. Yes. Uh, he he went into the building, so we'll see if we get some kind of update before Sunday's practice uh, on LaRaven Clark. So the, the tackle depth also being tested as well Very on the left so. side because uh, with both Jordan Mailata and Andre Dillard out, LaRaven Clark was working with the first team at left tackle. Uh, with him out, uh, Ben, I believe uh, Coyote Awashiko is getting most of the, the starting reps there uh, with the first team at left tackle. Yeah, I think we saw some Josh Sills over there yep. as well. Uh, a couple different bodies in there. When guys Guys go down for whatever reason, just opportunities for other guys. So because it's exciting to see 
some third and fourth stringers play with the ones and twos and face some better competition. And suddenly one of those young guys has a strong rep and opens your eyes. And I love the opportunity. As much as it hurts you to see the guys get dinged up, I love the void it creates and the the next man up mentality. And I think it's important for us to remember too, like if this were a game week, it's unlikely that Coyote Awashiga would be starting at left tackle. You think that they would probably shuffle some things around along the offensive line and kind of fix, all right, well, maybe Isaac Sayamalo moves to left tackle and you, you kind of mix and match uh, from that standpoint. But it's so important for those guys to get accustomed to each other with where they're going to line up in season. You've talked about, Ben, the, the lack of reps between Isaac Sayamalo and Lane Johnson lining up next to each other. I know you hit on that in our practice notes for today. Uh, you're not going to necessarily see that. I think the big thing when you get to that deep into the, the offensive line you just don't want drills to be completely derailed, right? So uh, that's really the goal is, all right, well, uh, you're not necessarily worried about uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, not going to, you know, getting hurt or Miles Sanders getting hurt. It's more, hey, like making sure that all these drills get off of the timing and the execution that you want along the offensive line. Yeah, and I love this offensive line room. Isaac Sayamalo snaps in the NFL at all five spots. Yep. Landon Dickinson came from college, starts at all five spots. Yep. Even a guy like Josh Sills, Oklahoma State, West Virginia. He started all five spots in college. Yep. A lot of versatility. You may only see him at some spots, but once you get into a pinch and game times and injuries, it's nice to know you have some versatile, experienced players at a variety of spots. I think that's what Stoughton loves. Yeah, cool. we've talked about how that, how important that is, not just for starters, but for backups, right? Sure. If you're going to be a backup offensive lineman, having that ability to line up. And the Eagles have had that, really, I mean, for you go back to guys that have been here in training camp over the years, uh, Tucker, uh, the last name, Casey Tucker, yep. he's lined up all over the place. Ryan Bates, when he was here as undrafted free agent, uh, he lined up all over the place, right? So uh, that versatility has always and been I, big. Really quick, I just love the chaos of the games. Yeah. Because a guy maybe playing all left guard, left guard, some center in camp. Suddenly somebody goes down at right tackle in the game. And they're just panicking. Who? I'll do it. I'll do it. Me. I'm in there. And yep. all of a sudden you're playing a spot you never played before. But having that versatility, the experience in college, having done it before – I love just kind of the fire of game days and things that happen, and who could fill in? Well, I just remember 2020, week one, who was your starting right tackle? It wasn't Lane Johnson. It was Jack Driscoll. That's right. right. Yeah, he got thrown right. into emergency fire. All of a sudden, you see week one, you're like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. That's what training camp's all about, yep. finding out who can handle that and getting them ready just in case. Yeah, and Jack Driscoll, when he was in college, he played at Auburn and started his career at UMass, played both tackle spots. Yep. People thought he could play in a guard. I remember him down at the uh, the Senior Bowl that year. It was like, oh, he, he might be a center down the road, right? And so, uh, it's just, again, versatility, really, really big for all offensive linemen, for Eagles offensive linemen, uh, absolutely huge. Uh, we'll, let's just stay here uh, in the trenches. We got to see some O-line, D-line one-on-one work uh, right in the near end zone, right in front of us. All three of us were in attendance uh, for that one. Ben, uh, just big takeaways from that drill? Yeah, they were front and center right there uh, for us to watch. Lane Johnson, again, strong rep against Reddick to start, and then he kind of mic drops and uh, watches the rest of the group for the session. Uh, Collectively, a pretty strong session for the D-line. Yeah. Um, Fun to see Milton Williams playing and get some different reps. She took a rep at zero, nose tackle against a center, maybe just a sign of things to come and some sub-package things. And uh, Jordan Davis, just a fascinating prospect because he's so big, goes to that bull rush often. But his best thing is actually the quickness. Yep. He beats a lot of guys with quickness off the ball. I thought Cam Jurgens, another rookie, did a great job in anchoring against Big Jordan Davis. They've had good us. reps this summer together. Um, so a bunch of good uh, good reps from some young guys out there. For me, uh, there were a couple other ones that stood out. There's Fletcher Cox. He went second. He was the second guy uh, off the rep in this drill. 
really good hump move against Jack Anderson right. where he just kind of clubbed inside. That, that patented Reggie White move uh, to be able to win inside. Uh, Josh Sweat had a really good long arm. He was lining up against uh, Awashika at left tackle, but Josh Sweat uh, showing off his power. Offensively, the two guys, number one, like Suo Opeta has been pretty strong and steady uh, throughout the course of camp, and not just in team drills, but also uh, in these one-on-ones. And then uh, another guy, a young guy that has stood out, Cameron Tom, uh, and he's another player. Talking about that versatility, he's lined up at tackle and at guard uh, throughout the course of the summer. He's kind of just plugging it where it leaks, and uh, he's. Uh, I thought he's had a solid summer as, as well so far. And another fun matchup. So we've been talking about the weird mismatch of Jason Kelsey, undersized, short, versus Jordan Davis, massive, tall, long. Yep. Well, the other side of the ball, you have Landon Dickerson, who's almost 6'5". He goes against Javon Hargrave a lot. Yeah. Very undersized, quick-footed, interior matchup. It's not easy for Landon Dickerson to play underneath him. Hargrave is really quick off the ball, really stout. And I'm glad just to see that elite matchup for Landon get those reps cleaned up in camp, <clears throat> excuse me, against a all-pro caliber defensive tackle, which we've seen from Javon Hargrave. So another interesting body types just to watch in those one-on-ones. Uh, on, the, on that note, uh, Ben, you made a point early on in, uh, in team sessions the the different looks and all the different personnel groupings we saw from this front and you know we've we've talked about it here on the show uh so far this summer that versatility is gonna be a huge weapon for this coaching staff and being able to deploy these guys in different ways uh you know you and i have gone down to o-line masterminds multiple times and how tough it is for lines to prepare for defenses that line guys up at multiple spots hey it's not just the same guy lining up at right defensive end play after play after play the eagles have the ability to shuffle guys in and out slide guys inside outside and that's that's tough for offense to be able to handle yeah i think there's some guys that are a perfect snapshot of that like a milton williams yeah that can be playing defensive end one snap and you blink and he's at nose tackle. And it's all different fronts from bare fronts and over four, three fronts. And sometimes he's a stand-up guy and BG's inside and Cox is outside. And that's really what Jonathan Gannon's trying to do. You do your work on early downs, stop the run, have some fun on third and medium, third and long. And he has a lot of guys to have fun with. I mean, Hassan Reddick, all the outside backers. Yeah. And the linebackers, the Nakobe Deans of the world and Davion Taylors. And those guys with great linear speed, blitzing speed. Getting some good late down situations, third down situations, a lot of tools to work with. I think it's just great for the offensive line to see all the different fronts as well because they're going to see this throughout the course of the season. And you talk about these O-line, D-line, one-on-ones. I think about Jason Kelsey and how he's had some battles with some nose, you know, being an undersized center over the years. Well, here in training camp, I mean, obviously – Kelsey has all the wisdom and experience in the world, but he gets to refine his technique and his craft going against a Jordan Davis and showing him a thing or two. I, I just think it's the iron sharpens iron, yep. you know, idiom there, but it's like every single day you get to see how the offense will also benefit from seeing all these different looks throughout the training camp and the joint practices and eventually the preseason as well. Honestly, that that the defensive line groupings and packages, especially when they get into subgroups, uh, that's going to be one of the things I'm most excited to see see once the regular season hits is it you know what does that look like in year two of this defense under Jonathan Gannon I think it could be really fun for all the reasons that we've talked about um plays of the day uh Ben you wrote about um a two play it wasn't a two play sequence but two plays from the same team session Jalen Hurts uh, attacking the middle of the field and why that was important and notable yeah not just the middle of the field but their intermediate middle of the field right. we've yep. seen some deep posts down the field off play action we've seen those running back angle routes and some shallows but the intermediate part of the field that 10 to 15 window which he seemed to not hit very often last year for a variety of reasons Saw a great seam route from Dallas Goddard where he got that ball up and down quickly and then a nice in-breaking route from A.J. Brown off a little bit of like a run RPO action. 
but very little wasted movement from Hertz. Literally got that ball in and out so fast. Didn't need to hitch up or, you know, burp the baby and pat the ball. Really got that ball out quick with good timing, anticipation, and accuracy, which you need all three on every throw over the middle of the field in the NFL. It's great to see Hertz feel a little more comfortable in getting those out. Completely anecdotal. I have no data to support this whatsoever, but I would venture to guess that, like, 65 to 70 percent of aj brown's yardage last year and the year before came on those like quick inbreakers. Hey, it was no secret the titans like to run the ball right that was their bread and butter run behind <clears throat> excuse me king henry and then work the play action rpo game at the inbreakers off of that yep. jalen hurst is gonna have to throw more inbreakers over the middle of the field because they're gonna be open they're gonna run the ball and then take that free space over the middle of the field there and remember the seam routes you don't see a lot of seams here in camp why is that we play a lot of two deep defense pretty much seam erasers right off the bat so today we saw a little more single high next thing you know seam route down the middle of the field so there's a lot of reasons why balls go over the middle of the field or don't remember defenses can present looks to take it away as well yeah that's that's a really really good point uh the first team drill of the day they did ones versus ones on one field it was like the ones and the twos on one field and then it was the the second and third string uh on the middle field ben you were over with the stars make sure you go check those notes out we don't need to get into uh, a play-by-play here uh go check the the practice notes on philadelphiaeagles.com that'll be live by the time you're listening to this podcast um but c-mac you and i were over uh watching the backups on the middle field and there was a sequence that stood out to both of us it was Mm -hmm. that what concluded the period three impressive throws from uh, quarterback Reed Sinet who's uh, working he's battling there with Carson Strong for that third string quarterback spot interesting battle his arm impressed me yeah his arm impressed me the first was a nice throw to Carrick Wheatfall yep so you score a touchdown it was a there. bit of a scramble drill he rolled to his right and found Wheatfall in the, in the back of the end might zone. have been sacked might have been sacked might have been you know but nonetheless the, the coach let the play keep going yep. then he threw an absolute rope to Lance Lenore now to me, the way I was watching, I saw Jack Stoll, the tight end, open up. And I thought, oh, he's going to go here. He's anticipating the ball. The ball comes out, and it's a little high. I'm like, oh, he totally missed it. Oh, no, no, no. It was perfect dime for Lenore. And you were impressed with the run after catch and the fact that he caught in traffic. Yeah, it was a great catch from Lenore on the run in traffic, like you mentioned. Um, you know, it was, very, it was kind of similar in some ways to the throw that Jalen Hurts made to Jalen Rager on uh, Thursday, I'm like doing my math of what day it is. Uh, on Thursday, it was a really good ball uh, from Sinet there, and then he wrapped it up uh, with the uh, with a third one that was really impressive as well. The uh, the deep ball to Devin Allen. Yeah, I thought it was Devin Allen's best ball, best catch. Yes, in best, best catch camp. of camp. Yep, by far. Uh, contested, good coverage, but greatly thrown ball put it out there for Allen to go get it and he did a great job of yep. uh using his leaping ability to come down with it yeah so. you mentioned Jack Stoll uh, on that second throw uh he actually took a little bit of a lick from uh, Josiah Scott on the very first play uh second play of that period was a really well-designed screen Cam Jurgens out in front uh bleeding leading the way for uh, uh for Kennedy Brooks uh, the running back out of the backfield so you know, just getting some the, the, some guys on the back end of the roster uh, a little bit of love here um speaking of which uh talking through some special teams mm-hmm. uh, I know Michael Clay the special teams coordinator spoke before practice uh any just big takeaways uh from that session I would take two of them here one is the fact that you're incorporating all these new guys okay guys who are the stars at offense defense at their respective colleges and all of a sudden, they're being asked to play special teams. And not all of them have done it before. So Michael Clay has to figure out, how do I get these guys to buy in? And obviously, jobs are on the line. So they're going to want to. But hey, he's got to do his job as a coach, 
as a teacher, as a motivator. So what he does is he tries to show the similarities between what they're doing on offense and defense and make it parallel to what they're doing on special teams to help carry over, to help improve their standing with those respective units. And then they'll show highlight plays to get the guys juiced up and say, we want to be a part of this, okay? Hey, this looks like we can have some fun here on special teams and you get to impact the game why don't you come on board? Uh, so that was a real big takeaway for me from Coach Clay. The other thing was talked about Aaron Sipos, the punter, who it's his second year with the Eagles, coming in, no competition there. You have Jake Elliott, who's playing at a Pro Bowl level, had one of the best seasons by, all time by an Eagles kicker last year. Rick Lovato, the long snapper, part of the operation, he's been to the Pro Bowl as well. Sipos, obviously huge in, in Elliott's success last season, but he's trying to make his name as a punter. And Clay said that he's been more consistent. He's improved his hang time. So it's great that he has a big leg, but if our gunners don't have time to get down the field, it kind of negates the, the value of that. So he's improved on that. And it <coughs> speaks volumes to the fact that the Eagles have not brought in competition. Yep. You know, you go over the years in training camp, there usually would be a second kicker or a second punter on the roster. It's not the case. The specialists seem to be entrenched at this point. Uh, Sipos, good start to camp, being very consistent there. That's the other big thing that Clay wants to see from the young punter. You don't see a lot of full live special team sessions here in camp or any camps around the NFL. I'm so excited for special teams in the preseason. Yeah, no doubt. You have a lot of intriguing talent fighting for roster spots, particularly the defensive back group. You even saw some mixed in with the ones today opposite of Bradbury. You saw, you know, Joe out there and Gowan and Kerry Vincent, Josiah Scott. I want to see who embraces those special teams reps in the game. Those are the guys that are going to claw for that fourth, fifth, sixth receiver spot, that fifth, sixth corner spot. Who's going to embrace being the punt gunner? We know special teams, your roster spot can be one out there in the preseason. We've yep. seen it before. Tons of stories in the past of just somebody being an energetic ball of clay on special teams. Can it be any of these guys? Absolutely. And I think we have a five, six, seven defensive backs that are kind of in contention to make the team on the back end. Well, that's what makes it so interesting for a guy like Michael Clay and anybody in that role, a special teams coordinator, because if you're the offensive coordinator, or the defensive coordinator, you have an idea of what your starters, you know, what your starting lineup is going to be. Right now, you're still trying to figure it out because there are some guys I'm sure that Michael Clay would love to have. Uh, he's been working with them for the last couple of, you know, few weeks to a few months. So like, yeah, I'd love to have him. I don't know if he's going to make the 53. So you're trying to make do. Who, who's a guy that can play for us on all of these units? Ben, you and I talk all the time on the Journey of the Draft podcast uh, about the value of that special teams experience. And it's tough because some programs operate, well, hey, if, you, if this guy's a starter on offense or defense, they're not going to play special teams. You might see a running back come out who played three snaps his entire career. If he's not a returner, he's not. he doesn't play. Uh, but then you go, might go to another school. This guy was a three-year starter on defense, and he was a four-year starter on special teams, and he played 600 snaps. Every school kind of handles it differently. And I also love to see a player kind of graduate and not have to worry about the special teams right. scratching and calling. I haven't seen a whole lot of T.J. Edwards on special teams. No. Makes me happy. Right. He's kind of graduated from that back-end roster <laughs> undrafted spot where I have to run down on kickoff with my head, you know, cut off because, you know, I'm just trying to make the team as an undrafted. Haven't seen him a whole lot on special teams, and it feels good just to know he knows his place and uh, he's really valued by this team. And that's the thing, too, is that, like, oh, I'm sure when it comes to, like, week one, my guess is TJ Edwards is going to be on he's that starting kickoff yeah. unit. It's not, but it's a matter a of like camp a thing. camp thing. Yeah. Exactly right. It's like it's a matter of not having to prove that you can do it. Most linebackers around the NFL You're are playing special teams. Special teams. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the uh, hundred million dollar Fred Warner's of the world. But, right. Uh, 
80% of starting linebackers are special teamers. I often reflect back on a conversation I had with Chris Maragos on this podcast, and we were talking about what makes a good special teamer. And he was someone that worked with uh, with Michael Clay when he first signed here. Uh, Michael Clay was the assistant special teams coordinator at that point. And, you know, talking with Chris Maragos about this topic, he was like, yeah, you know, people think like, oh, it's a, a safety who's slow. Put him on special teams. Oh, it's a linebacker who has struggled tackling. Like, put him on special teams. Like, you know, it's like, oh, it's a receiver who's not, can't really catch, but he's, he's really tough. Put him on special teams. It's like, no, like you need to be an athlete and you need to be a good tackler on special teams. So like, you know, of course those guys can play and can play like replacement All those level. Lack of traits show up on, on special, special teams. teams. If you can't play in space and coverage, guess what? Special teams, you're playing in space on every single rep. So um, those things, it's, it always kind of stands out. And I agree. Like I watch special teams closer in the preseason, maybe than anything else, maybe more than anything. And I, you know, watch it much more in the summer than I do in the fall. I love the psychology too. I mean, some of these guys were four or five stars, big man on campus in college. There's a lot of college programs where your studs aren't playing special teams. There's a lot of ones that you are as well. So it's very balanced. Get to the NFL as a late round pick priority for agent. All of a sudden they're calling your name for special teams and you have to want to do it. Yep. You have to be into it mentally. And there are a lot of guys that aren't and they see it as a knock on their ability. And it's really a, you're a professional. You help out the organization wherever you can, whether it's kickoff duty, fourth corner, nickel, or going to get water ice after practice. Whatever you can do to help, that's the mentality they want of people. And it's almost like a test as well. I almost want to see if you're into it if we ask you to do it. You know, like A.J. Brown, are you going to be a punt gunner for us one day? Uh, Yeah, I'll go do it. Great. We're never going to ask you to do it, but just make sure you're mentally ready to do it if we need you to. We mm-hmm. want a locker room full of those guys. I hope A.J. Brown's not doing it. I don't know. Even- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Catching touchdown passes on offense, but you just want the mentality of, of, right course. of everyone in the locker room. Uh, C-Mac, have you had a go-to flavor for uh, Rita's this year so far in camp? I have not had a single wow. outing of it. Uh, I've been going no. with the blue raspberry heavy every day. Uh, I've been doing the blue raspberry almost every day. I didn't do it today. Ben, I gotta ask somebody. The you did. Pear made an you did. Yeah, well, the pair, the 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 uh, the, the pear has been here. But speaking of pear, you you've been mixing flavors. You've been doing like I've always uh, been oh, mixing yeah. flavors. Yep, been a big blue raspberry lemon guy. We haven't had lemon this season. Some changes going on uh, behind the scenes. So it's been <laughs> big blue raspberry mango. Yep. Combo. Um, I think it's the best of both worlds. A little blue raspberry, a little mango, a little the hybrid flavor of the two. Um, so you asked a person to scoop eat the multiple flavors. Yeah, and I, I okay. find that to be perfectly acceptable. They okay. are ready for it. Now, don't go three flavors. Two flavors is the cutoff. Everybody knows that. I mean, you can't go Swedish fish, mango, and blue raspberry. That's just madness. Well, we're trying to run a society. Yeah. <laughs> trying to be structured. Two flavors and keep it moving. All I've right. heard the pear one's pretty impressive, though. I haven't had the pear yet. Uh, I have not it's had the pear. Maybe I shouldn't be asking for two. Maybe they've been cursing under their breath uh, every time I walk away. <laughs> now, you got, now you got him second-guessing. He's going he's gonna to be asking them before practice tomorrow. Um so Michael Clay was before practice. Uh, after practice, uh, C-Mac, I know you spoke with Zach Paschal uh, and Dallas Goddard. Just some quick takeaways uh, from those discussions. Yeah, well, Zach Paschal spent four days in the hospital. Okay, it's crazy. so food poisoning. He said it was a little Mexican, a little chicken quesadilla that uh, caused the illness. Uh, said he lost 16 pounds. Uh, the support from the team has been tremendous. Uh, he was itching to get back on the field because he has his, his iPad and is watching the film and, and the coaches and players are texting him. And he's like, I want to be out there. I want to yeah. be with the guys. But he's in his sixth season. He understands that he's got to get back to full strength. He's got to get you know his body right to be able to perform at a high level. Uh, the other thing, once we got off the whole food poisoning thing, the other thing was that Sirianni in the offseason said that Pascal is the best fourth receiver 
in the league. And it's one of those things where you hear it and it's like, is it a compliment? Well, no, that is a, the fourth receiver is 100% a role in the NFL. Of oh, course, 100%. of course. But right. for someone who is trying to do more than that, who's yeah. trying to be, you know, a starter, you know, top line receiver, it's kind of like, you know, it's like the best six man in the, in the NBA. So what, did, like, so what did he say about that? He said, look, I understood where he's coming from, but I'm trying to right. be more than that. I don't want to just think of myself as a best fourth receiver. I'm trying to impact the game. Yeah. He understood where coach was coming from. It was yep. like, okay, thanks for the praise. But at the same time, I, I'm trying to be more than that here. So. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it was good. He was out there, ironically enough, bringing it full circle, uh, giving great energy <laughs> on special teams. We saw him out there uh, in those special teams drills. That'll be a, a big part of what Just he brings to the table. Just throwing this out there, who's receiver three? Oh. I mean, certainly by by the way that they've lined up, it's been it's been Watkins. Uh, Quez Watkins. Yeah, I mean Quez Watkins um, with uh, Jalen Rager. Uh, he had been receiver four, and we'll see if uh, how that plays out. Yeah, I would say that Quez Watkins has been receiver three yeah. uh, for the majority of camp. Now uh, Rager has gotten t- reps with the ones uh, throughout the uh, the last few days because Quez was out for that one day, uh, and then Devontae Smith uh, has been out for the last couple. But uh, yeah, that's going to be. Big to watch, no question, once we get to the preseason. Um, Here's another thing about the offense. Are we going to see more 11 personnel? You this asked me this, and this was, this was a fascinating dis- discussion. So yeah. what, just big picture, not you know going into the data or anything like that, just watching day by day, I feel like I'm seeing more 11 personnel. Now, is that because you've added an A.J. Brown to the mix and you're a little deeper at receiver? It's also the fact that you're, you know injuries at the tight end position are hampering it. Or is this philosophically what the coaches want to do this season? And I did ask you, I was like, you know, this was knowing that Dallas Scott was going to meet with the media today. This was like 6.30 this morning when Very I walked early. in. Very early, yes. This was a great, first, great way to yes, start the day. Exactly. Was awesome. you know, how, how, was your, how was your Friday night? No, 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 no. Let's get into 11 yes. personnel discussion. And how much 11 personnel did the Eagles run last season after Dallas Goddard became the guy? And you pulled up the numbers, and they were right in the middle of the pack still in terms of 11 personnel usage, but still extremely high in 12 personnel. They were top five and they were top five and 12 personnel after the Zach Ertz trade. So they still played a lot of 12. And that's so then my thought was, oh, well, they yeah, obviously they ran the ball a lot during that stretch. Uh, that was when that was when the offense turned. They played, they ran a lot. So I sorted it just by pass plays. Even still, they were like middle of the pack. They were like 14th in pass plays out of 12 personnel uh, after the Zach Ertz trade. So the 12 was was a pretty big part of what they did offensively uh, a year ago, regardless of, of who was out there. So I'm interested to see if that does change. And to take a stab at actually answering your question, I will say yes. And I think that starts with obviously Ertz not being involved in you know, the offense, not being here anymore, and he was a mainstay of 12 personnel. But the type of receivers they've added right. in Pascal, in A.J. Brown, Good call. Pascal... Yeah absolute dog of a blocker out there, A.J. Brown, every bit of 230 pounds. I think you'll be able to be successful in the run game with them on the yep. field consistently good because call. of their presence as mm, competitive blockers. Yeah, and honestly, the, the, <coughs> the depth at receiver overall is, is better, right? I mean, yeah. you add those two guys – you didn't lose anybody from last year from that receiving core. So, uh, you know, just there's, there's more receivers to be able to get out on the field. Uh, that's a good point by Ben. I think the packages would change. You'd probably see a little bit more 11. And Dallas Goddard talked about the interchangeability of everyone yeah. in the pass-catching group where we saw him on one route where he was flexed outside and got the ball yep. on a nice he route. on a hitch route against Darius Slay. And exactly. And Goddard's like, I tell the guys I can run every route in the right. playbook. Right. I can do it all too. He's not so lying. call my call eighty eight. Call yep. my number. We'll, we'll we'll make this happen. So, but uh, I th- I think he's excited being 
having the success he had when he was the guy yep. at the end of last season, I, I think it was like seven of the ten games uh, following following the Urch trade, he played like 90% or more of the snaps. Yep. Okay, And he finished the year, I think, fifth among tight ends in receiving yards, first in receiving first down percentage. I mean, he had a heck of a season. Now it's like, okay, he's looking great in camp. He's the guy. He's embraced everything mentally, physically. I mean, he's poised to have a really, really big year. Yeah, uh, no question. Uh, Dallas Goddard, obviously going to be a central part of this offense, of this passing game. Well, uh, we'll be talking more about Dallas Goddard and this Eagles offense tomorrow right here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast. The Eagles have a Sunday night practice. I alluded to it earlier. If you're in the Philly area on Sunday, you want to come watch the birds play, make sure you get out to Lincoln Financial Field. All proceeds going to the Eagles Autism Foundation. We'll be back talking about this team after the open practice. The Eagles have a walkthrough on Monday, so no podcast Monday. We'll be back for Tuesday and Wednesday, I believe, uh, for this week in terms of practice. So we'll be back right here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast.